0: I think I'm having an art attack! What's up, everybody? And welcome to a new episode in the new world with this new world order. This is during COVID-19, SARS-2 era. This is definitely a new world. This is the first art attack we've done since the entire world morphed into running scared of this virus and everybody is on lockdown. And in fact, Lizzie and I are both being very vigilant and Lizzie is doing this via the phone. She is not here, which really bums me out, Lizzie.
1: Me too. I miss your face. This is going to be great. I'm really happy that we get to continue these conversations and reinstate some semblance of normalcy, but it is definitely strange. It's a, it's a paradigm shift for sure. I'm looking forward to being back in your studio. Yes,
0: yeah, so who knows how long that will be, but we wanted to start doing these again as we're adjusting to the new normal and Today, fittingly, we want to talk about, of course, art during pandemics. Because as Lizzie and I both know, many great artists create. I mean, this is a very interesting time, Lizzie. Let's be honest. For the actors, actresses, directors, producers, comedians, sports world, they've been kind of recession-proof. They have not been ever hammered. When the economy goes down, people still go to the movies, people still rent Netflix. In fact, they do that more so. But this is the first time when entertainers are really hitting reality. Reality is smacking them right in the face, punching them in the jaw. But for artists, this is kind of what we do classically. We... Shut down in the studio, we lock ourselves away, and we create. And many great pieces of work have been done during pandemics and quarantine. In fact, Shakespeare was said to live through four pandemics, which is crazy. Ooh. And his family it non- is
1: probably four iterations of the Black Plague. But didn't he write King Lear during one of those lockdowns? He
0: definitely did. It's not even a question. He wrote some of his greatest works, and they said he probably was immune to the Black Plague because he was an infant during it. And so that's obviously all speculation. We have no scientific forensic evidence, but we can say that many artists have bunkered away and created stuff, and this is such a... You know, this is a bigger conversation because this gets into the spiritual realm of being able to sit with your art and yourself and your spirit during these times without, with minimum distractions.
1: And I think that that concept of art as escapism is really significant. And I liked how you reminded us that entertainment has momentarily shut down with the NBA being on pause and Hollywood ceasing all productions of current shows and future pilots. Art is Really, or visual arts and painting, and any kind of manifestation of uh, the visual creativity that is going to provide and open up this whole new space that's also safe because people can create in a relatively secluded studio if they have access to that. So, I think that that will hopefully be an inroad out of some of the fear currently, but historically has been, and that is really what we wanted to talk about today because. It feels for me at least like this is a whole new world that nobody has ever seen the likes of and it's terrifying. And in working through some of the research to prepare for this episode, I was reminded that this is a cyclical epidemic. And certainly with each iteration of a virus, there are gonna be different sets of complications, but it was heartening for me to realize that all of the work essentially, of the high renaissance was created under the weight of the Black Plague. Mm. So the Mona Lisa, these remarkable paintings, the Sistine Chapel that we've talked about, those basically all the Ninja Turtles. They worked under the fear of dying from a, a virus that was this invisible warrior. And yet they were able to produce these really... Stunning,
0: life-changing creations. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 going back to the Black Plague. We talked about that, and you and you look at artists like Peter Bruegel, the Elder, not the younger, the Elder. Uh, I grew up with a lot of his work on my grandfather's walls, and not his original work, because then obviously I would never have to do this podcast, because I'd be so rich. But. (laughs) <laughs> Peter Bruegel, the elder, when, when you look at his painting, Triumph of Death, uh, it really harkens to all of the crazy insanity. Uh, Hieronymus Bosch, all of the Garden of Earthly Delights. I mean, they're, these people created this not only during times of the plague, but created images that involved people who were suffering from the plague. Uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually.
1: Yeah, and so- that's a great painting to bring up. This, I think Bruegel was working in the mid 1500s, and artists were hesitant to depict literal depictions of this plague. And I think possibly it's because there was so much fear and ambiguity surrounding the plague, and people just didn't have the resources that we do today. And so, this concept of death and epidemic it really literalized itself in uh, the form of skeletons and a more esoteric form of battles and dances of death. And so this painting, if I'm thinking of the same one that you are, it's a one of his signature miniaturized uh, landscapes where it's zoomed out, we have tons of different people, and there's just this pile of bodies and death and destruction in the background. And so we have almost the pillage of nature and certainly this mass destruction of people. And I think that there are some skeletons dancing, too. And so I I believe that the skeleton at this time was a symbol of the larger fear surrounding the eventuality of life.
0: Yeah, there's shipwrecks, there's fires burning, everything is dead, there's chaos. Uh, It's just absolutely nuts. And people, you know... and. And this is another thing is that, you know, he's depicting people from all social backgrounds. So to peasants and and nobility, to kings and soldiers, there's even a cardinal. So same with this pandemic. There's no discrimination here. Death will take anybody. And I think that is a real awakening in Peter Bruegel's the Peter Bruegel the Elder Triumph of Death, which was painted in 1562. Uh, so that is a uh, a genius work of art that was done on the subject of death, and we don't like to really look at it. And I think right now uh, we're seeing it, we're we're living it for the first time in our generation in our parents' generation and not necessarily in our grandparents' generation, but we've really escaped having to live through this high level of a plague.
1: Well, we have in the Western world, but the Ebola virus from 2014, that was definitely of a, a similar scope. And there was some beautiful art that emerged from that epidemic too. So I know that we're sort of Zooming back and forth through history, but just yeah. while we're talking about it, there's this one artist, her name is Mary Beth Hefferman, and she was she was just feeling how infantilizing it must be for people who are suffering from Ebola to only have contact with people from the medical profession in these hazmat suits, where you can't see the face. The doctors and the medical practitioners are stripped of their humanity. And imagine how fragilizing that must have been for somebody who didn't know what was going on with their bodies. And so Mm. she had the idea to take photographs of the medical professionals and then tape those photographs to their suits. And that was a way for the patients to see a human being under the suit and to feel a little bit more comfortable and to feel like they're establishing a connection with a human being and not this alien body. So I thought that was a really lovely response. And also there was an artist who is, I believe he's Liberian. His name is Leslie Luma. And he made this incredible politically charged art and illustrations that ended up saving lives because of the way that they were proliferated. And if you can see an image that depicts and visually renders the maybe the way that Ebola was transmitted or what happened to the body once it was infected, then that could be this tool, this integer of salvation. So art, art definitely manifests in very productive, constructive ways, but I think it's great, as you talk about, it's importance to visually see the impact and to have this experience, this contact with death but I think that it's also equally important to see the human resilience and the fact that artists like Michelangelo, Raphael, even Rembrandt, he lived during an epidemic, that they're able to create and to celebrate life despite everything that's happening biologically.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point, you know, and And also, we have to think about not to, I'm going, I'm going to fast forward and then I'm going to rewind. But another thing we have to think about is art really booms after pandemics because there's a lot of creation during the pandemics and a lot of desire then to, you know, live again. You know, think about after World War II when you're in this kind of uh, you're you're on the up. You're high. Everything is booming again. So, we have to kind of think about this as temporary, like everything. But we do. Go ahead, Lizzie.
1: Oh no! I was just I'm so dazzled by the fact that you are mentioning how really significant art comes after a devastating events like World War II. Because you know who rose to prominence after World War II is Jackson Pollock. So I'm just. I'm really happy that pandemic is able to reorient your appreciation for Pollock.
0: No, no, actually, that was you telling me that it was reorienting my (laughs) appreciation for Pollock, when in truth, you were just supplanting Pollock there to use as fodder for your own verbal weaponry to uh, to completely shoot down something that I never said. So listen, Pollock sucks. Okay, so... Egon Sheila, he died during the Spanish flu. And I want to talk about specifically his painting called The Family that he did in 1918. He, you know, the Spanish flu obviously was crazy. Uh, It was insane. It infected 500 million people, and an estimated 100 million people died you know, you would it would be like a normal flu, fever, nausea, diarrhea, but a lot of people had pneumonia, and then they would get dark spots, and uh, they would turn blue. They would suffocate from a lack of oxygen. Their lungs would fill with like blood or a blood substance. And uh, unlike a lot of these, uh, like the coronavirus or or COVID or SARS two, what they're calling it, uh, which attacks pretty much people who have, uh, well, it can attack anybody, obviously, but primarily the elderly or people who have compromised immune systems. This one would strike down really young, healthy adults in 1918. So Egon Sheila, as we all know, because we did an episode on him, and if you haven't caught that episode, catch the episode right now. Okay, so Egon Sheila was one of the great artists who who passed away from it, Egon Schiele was a student of Gustav Klimt. He was very young. I believe he was only 28 when he died. And the family was an unfinished painting uh, during that death. And it's a squatting couple painted in his typical uh, spotty Egon Schiele-esque kind of distorted angst colors, angst palette, and angst gestural forms. And It was, like most of his figurative work, it was very emotional. And it was one of his last paintings, Lizzie, with him and his wife, Edith, and their unborn child. And I want to read this last letter he wrote. He said, Dear Mother Sheila, Edith got the Spanish flu eight days ago and has pneumonia. She is six months pregnant. The disease is very serious and life-threatening. I am preparing myself for the worst. Edith then died of the Spanish flu in the sixth month of her pregnancy. Three days after she died, Egon died as well.
1: Oh, that is a really harrowing letter. I'm familiar with the painting, but not that text. And if that's the one I'm thinking about, then we see his classic attenuation of form and the way that he renders the bodies. It almost looks like they're these emaciated slabs of meat. Yeah. And I think that image coupled with the letter that you read is just, it It illustrates the devita- devastation of this kind of pandemic and the fear surrounding it too. And also this desire for hope, because as you said, he's hoping for the best. He isn't indicting their fate, and yet they both succumb to it. And Klimt, you mentioned that Sheila was a student of Klimt. He, I also think, died of the Spanish influenza, but their colleague, Edvard Monk, he had it, and he survived. And so that is a hopeful expression of what is also possible, not just succumbing, but also surpassing and and moving forward. And he painted a, a self-portrait after he survived the Spanish influenza. And that that painting, I think, is just so beautiful because you see how his body has been ravished, but you also see how his body remains. He's animated, he's alive, he's extant, and he's healing.
0: Wait, are you talking about Edvard Munch?
1: Yeah, Edvard Munch, right, after the Spanish influenza.
0: Wow. You know, I didn't even know Gustav Klimt died of Spanish influenza.
1: I'm pretty sure he did. He did, yeah, I think you're right. Titian and Holbein, they died of the Black Plague.
0: I think so. Did Andrea del Sarto?
1: Interesting. My favorite mannerist during.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, look. Here's the reality: many people over the years, and we know this because we learn history through art. But many significant artists died from the plague or a pandemic. It's crazy.
1: It is. And then we also should talk about AIDS and HIV because that was a virus that came with it. So, so much fear because like with all of these viruses, there wasn't enough, there wasn't sufficient information about, about how it was contracted. And in the 1980s, when HIV was really rampant, especially in New York City, a lot of artists, visual artists took to their work to respond to yep. the virus itself and also the ambiguity surrounding its, how it was contracted. And I'm thinking of Keith Haring, and he did this one poster. It's called Ignorance Equals Fear. And you see his signature stylized bodies, and one is covering its eyes, so see no evil. One is covering its ears, hear no evil, and the other covering its mouth, speak no evil. And yep. it says, A fight AIDS, act up and how silence equals death. And so I think that just this reminder to use art as a tool for communication, that, that that's really powerful. And it's really, it builds community during times like these.
0: Yeah, and that, uh, you know, thirty-five uh, 70 million people have been affected with, with, with HIV and, and uh, 35 million have actually passed away over the years. Uh, so that's a that's a staggering statistic. I think that's, that's accurate.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, that's terrifying. And I think that with all of these viruses and these plagues and not to equalize epidemics, but just to, to see the, the medical response to, or the artistic response to medical happenings. I, I think that, it's just so important that we allow ourselves the room to creatively respond and to hopefully respond. And so much beautiful work came from the 1980s as a, an aftershock of HIV and AIDS. And there's a, another artist. So Keith Haring is perhaps the most famous. And he also did this bathroom takeover. I think we talked about this in our episode on Haring. But mm-hmm. as a reminder, there's a an LGBTQ community center in Manhattan. And he took one of the the bathrooms and he just completely overwhelmed it from the walls and the urinals to the ceilings with his designs. And they're a lot more sexually explicit. It's actually my favorite work of hearings that I've ever seen. And it's just this immersive experience of queer sexuality. And I think it was specifically... Motivated and propelled by his response to HIV and AIDS, and then there's another artist, David uh, Voynorovich. I think I always say it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Voynorovich. And he was a contemporary of Herring's, and he did photographic work and also paintings and collages that speak to this the same uh, experience with the fear and also just the mass quantities
0: that you mentioned of, uh, deaths succumbing to the virus. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a weird time, Lizzie. And like it, you know, it's funny because we talked about Salvador Dali and surrealism. And I feel like we're living in a Salvador Dali surrealistic painting of our reality right now. And there's so many shifts and so many people are, you know, forget about the, uh, the amount of just just the fear and the frustration and the economic disaster and just how this is going to transform our artistic realities, you know, because it's just completely transformative. So I think what our agenda, if there was an agenda is is that look, this this happens uh, throughout history. This has happened. Yes, this has taken many lives, uh, including, you know Titian and Gustav Klimt and Egon Schiele and and the list goes on and on until the break of dawn but how do we how do we come out of this and how do we create during it to keep ourselves busy and perhaps create a new movement that is spectacular and different and a reflection of the time to positive effect right what could we do artistically to kind of buck the system or, you know, because when you look at Bruegel and you look at Hieronymus Bosch, it was very dark. It was very dark. But I don't think responses necessarily have to have darkness. Uh, But And sometimes darkness is the light. So you have to go through dark times in order to see the light. And I think that's when you get the Renaissance. You get movements that are illuminating, that are a rebirth. And I think that's what we will get out of this. We will have a lot of significance, significant art that is created during this time and stuff that is going to change the game in terms of art history.
1: And I think that is such a beautiful attitude to have and to lean into the fear and the panic that's emerging from a time of such uncertainty and physical and emotional insecurities too, but then to see the eventuality of hope and that this is temporary. Even the black plague, which lasted on and off for 300 years eventually was contained. And I don't think that we're even a sliver of, uh, or we don't have a sliver of that amount of time or hopefully, yeah. destruction that they
0: experienced back in the, um, the 1300s. The black plague was no you know? joke. That would you would get boils and you would you know be burning to death and your body, you know, your 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 mothers would have to leave their daughters, their sisters would have to leave their brothers on the street because they were so highly and you know it was so dangerous. And this is this is a dangerous one because you know it is Ebola is way more deadly, right? But it's but it's but it can be very deadly. But it wasn't, you know, Ebola is not as contagious as this one. So this one is kind of ranks high and too contag- in, in contagious and and deadly. It's not the highest in either, but it's high enough to where it makes it uh, dangerous. But at some point. We have to, and we will go back. The Spanish flu uh, seemed to have come in three waves, from what I understand, and then it wasn't the first wave, but it was the second wave that just annihilated people. That was the heavy wave. Uh, And then this one, you know, hopefully we we have global communication and we have a completely different, uh, obviously it's absolute insanity and chaos, but it is a completely... Uh, different infrastructure and technology and medicine and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, no, no one really cares about what I think uh, about the the medical m- the medical perspective. But my point is that uh, there is always a bright side to darkness. There is always a transformation of going through darkness to see the light. And a lot of it is really just going deep down inside of yourself and finding your own medicine to heal uh, from from this. And, and I think that the healing medicine of all of this is really being is creativity, not just artistically. You could, you know, I'm talking about, you know, your camera, whatever you can do on your own. Isolation creates greatness. I
1: really agree with that. And I think that art, let art be a healing tool for you, whether it be through consuming art as a historian, as a curious mind, or whether it be through creating art in whatever way that looks for you, or even just absorbing the history of artistic responses to deadly pandemics. I I really, I feel like art is a tool for connection, community, and healing.
0: Absolutely. And Lizzie, uh, once again, guys, since you have time and you're at home, uh, follow us on Art Attack Podcast on Instagram, as well as leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you can, leave us a review, uh, because we're doing this because we love it. We love art. We think it's important, and clearly it is everything to us, and I think it, it betters. It it, really makes us better people to not only enjoy art and support art, but to create art. Thanks, guys.